welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. Rachel Balkovec is a minor league hitting coach with the New York Yankees. She was a minor league strength coach for the St. Louis Cardinals from 2011 to 2015. After that, she worked for the Houston Astros as Latin American strength and conditioning coordinator. She's also worked with the Dutch national baseball and softball teams. In this episode, we cover her work with Humans for Humans, her upcoming female executive mentorship conference, how her strength and conditioning background has helped coach hitters, her time and mentors with the Cardinals, Astros, and Yankees organizations, how we can use social media positively, and her book and podcast recommendations. Let's welcome Rachel to the show. All right, we're here with uh, Rachel Balkovic, uh, and um, she's current uh, hitting coach for the New York Yankees. And Rachel, I appreciate you coming on with me. Well, I'm honored. So thanks for having me on. This is going to be a blast. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, and, and just researching and, and reading. And, um, you know, when I, I set it up with you, you know, you got back to me about the humans for humans cause. And uh, so I'd like to start there. Can you just explain a little bit, you know, how you got into it and, and why you felt like that there was a need for it? Uh, I mean, I, I hate that. I want to just say I don't even. I don't think it's the biggest, you know, deal of all of all time. But I guess I'll just tell you the origins is more or less when we first went on break for the coronavirus just a few weeks ago. I just felt like immediate, immediately kind of felt this sense of helplessness, and because I'm sitting here quarantined in paradise, you know, just like <laughs> you know, hanging out in Florida, and I just felt like God, there's so many people that really need help right now. And so I just thought, what could I do? And that's the beauty of social media is that I just put a link up in my bio for Twitter and Instagram and just decided that basically every day that we're off for major league baseball, I'm going to donate $5 of my own money. And I thought, well, I can either, you know, donate 35 bucks a week myself, or I can put it out to the community that is with me on social media and ask for them to do the same if they feel compelled. So First week, we were able to donate um, almost $2,000 to a food bank. Last week was like $600 to medical supplies. This week, we're midweek, we're already up to $600. That's probably, I, I think this week is going to go to a minor league baseball support fund for all the minor league guys that are kind of displaced right now. Yep. Um, so yeah, just, it's it's not that much, but it just shows the power of community. Like, like I said, it could have been $35 of my own money, but I'm just trying to you know, encourage the spirit of giving, I guess you could say, in case somebody doesn't know where to start or feels overwhelmed, because there are so many organizations that need help right now. Um, so yeah, just let me do the dirty work of finding who needs it and pass it along. Yeah, and the, the family that I was living with in North Carolina, Andrew Bartman works for USA Baseball, and then his wife, Nicole, um, she works for the Red Cross. So before I left North Carolina to come back to Illinois, she and I had had discussions because you know, with the Red Cross, a lot of there is, is blood blood drive stuff. So, you know, a lot of her conversations with them were on, you know, how, how are they going to handle some of the blood drive stuff? Um, because, you know, everybody's going to need that. Um, you know, so those were just some interesting things. And, you know, we'll know more as we keep going. And, and hopefully, you know, it starts to, to slow down here. But, um, you know, I think we're, everybody's going through this for the first time. So there, I don't think there's any right or wrong. But I was impressed with that because I, I I'm in that camp that you're describing. Like, there's so many things out there that you can jump in and help with that I, I lose track myself of just like how much stuff there is out there. And so I was glad that you kind of nudged a little bit because that was it's an easy it's an easy click, you know. And and it's nothing to donate ten bucks here and there um, to try to help. Yeah. It's, I think it's just, it's an interesting time where I know that there's a lot of people out there that are really struggling right now, but it's also an interesting time of like collective struggle. Yes. And it's probably, we're probably in the midst of the first time in history since maybe World War II where worldwide people are coming together and they're all going through a very similar situation. And in some ways that's a really huge positive. I think it's 
probably driving up the empathy and um, connecting people throughout the world that wouldn't be otherwise. And, and there are some positives to that. And I think we're all learning hard lessons, but also good lessons in this time about just understanding how fortunate we might be. If you look at other countries that are going through this, that don't have the same infrastructure that we have in the United States. And just, I don't know, there's so many like global thoughts that are, I think, positive that will come out of this in the end. Obviously right now in the middle of it doesn't seem super positive, but I always, I'm definitely a big picture person and I'm, I'm trying to take that 10,000 foot view at the moment. And I said that yesterday, I, I think that one, there's going to be a lot of positives that come out of this, but I think the one is that, um, you know, it's something that maybe we didn't plan for, but now that we're going through it, it, it may alleviate um, the next go around if it does happen again, because we'll be more prepared for it if it does happen again. Of course. Yep. You know, and as I'm reading through some of the other stuff, um, you know, and you and I've talked about FAM, you know, can, can you talk about that? Um, you know, I know you said it's, it's supposed to be, it was supposed to be in November, but can you talk about that? Cause I, I think that's something that, that nobody really knows about. Can you explain what FEM is? Sure. So FEM is an event that myself and another, um, strength and conditioning coach, Jen Wiederstrom have started. It's called FEM because it's female executive mentorships and, more or less, like we're really we're in this interesting time nowadays where women are more um, women in sports are more visible than they ever have been. Whether that's covering women's sports on TV in general, or there are just women coaches and women announcers and that kind of thing. And when I was even when I was growing up, like I mean, I'm not I'm 32, I'm not that old, but even when I was growing up, women's sports weren't televised in the same way that they are now. Yep. And as a result, I think I just didn't really have a lot of visible ideas of women as mentors. And I just didn't even have women mentors. Like I had all of my coaches growing up were were male. And then even in college, I had mostly male coaching staffs. And by the way, some phenomenal men in my, my life, you know, absolutely phenomenal. And even in my career, like obviously I work in professional baseball. So most of my mentors and colleagues are men. So phenomenal people. However, anytime I get around another woman who is in a male dominated industry or who has been there, so there's really only a few in my life. But anytime I get around one, I'm like, Oh, my God, like, wow, I'm not crazy. You have these experiences as well. And it just is like so helpful to have somebody who has shared experiences in a very specific way as a woman in a male dominated industry, or just even if you're not in a male-dominated industry and you're at the top of your game, you're a CEO or you're a high-level management position, that means you're in a male-dominated space all the time because that those positions usually are not, you know, held by women. Exactly. Even though, you know, even though this is getting a little bit deeper, I'm getting back to femme, but... That's okay. Like, even though it's like there are plenty of women who are going to college, plenty of women who are getting jobs, but by age 30, they're still at home with the kids. So we're still in that time where I think having visible ideas of women in, in leadership positions or in positions that are in male-dominated industry, there's a huge need for that. And so what we've tried to do is uh, create an event. It's a really small event, application only, um, that's going to be kind of like an intimate setting where there's going to be like really tactical takeaways, not just one of those women's events you go to, it's 300 people and you're kind of like, on yoga mats, like doing yoga to Taylor Swift. Like we don't, it's not going to be a surface level event. It's an event where we're going to have six speakers and there's curriculum and takeaways. And so we really want to mentor, hence the name female executive mentorships. We want to provide these women with mentors and visible ideas and some takeaways that they can actually take from the event and apply in their professional and personal life for that matter. And they're just getting it from people who have lived it. So I wish I had a female mentor when I was 23 walking me through what I was going through with getting into professional baseball. I wish I had that, but I didn't. So I had to kind of navigate it on my own and I probably could have done a better job. I mean, thankfully I'm still here and on this podcast, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I probably could have used some guidance from a, a woman and, and taking a perspective from somebody who's kind of lived through those experiences. So that's femme um, was slated to go off no, middle of November in Montana at a kind of, all-inclusive resort, kind of an outdoor feel, some physical aspects to it, some training outside alongside the curriculum and kind of one-on-one -on -one meetings with the specific mentor. So um, that is coming, but we don't know when, just like 
many things right now. So keep a lookout, but yep. um, it's on hold. <laughs> <laughs> and, at, you know, I actually consider my mom one of my mentors. Uh, you know, my dad coached college baseball forever. And, um, you know, back in the, the early days of, of college coaching, he had to teach. Uh, he was a, a official for high school football and college basketball. So growing up, my dad wasn't around as much. And so my mom is one of my biggest mentors. And then coaching as long as I did for 22 years, you do really get to see the interaction and, and how the, the female and the male side work. And the athletic departments I, I worked at, a majority of them were smaller athletic departments. So you did really get to see firsthand like how the male and the female side have to interact with each other in a, in a positive way because if not, it really hurts your athletic department as a whole. So I, I've grown up in that culture of, of seeing how the male and the female side need to work together. And I've been fortunate to be around some really good female administrators and also some female coaches. And I think about Gail Blevins at uh, Iowa. If you don't know her, she's a great person to reach out to. She was a, a huge mentor to me. I got to Iowa my, um, you know, my seventh year of coaching, and she was so good to me as far as coming by, stopping by. I, I, I picked so much from her just on how to be involved with the athletic department as a whole because she was so good at knowing what was going on with every program and uh, just a huge positive, and she was a huge positive force. And She's given lessons now in Cedar Rapids, um, so that's what she's doing. She's been out of the college game for a while now, but she's still uh, she's still a, a great life force. And I think you can. I, it doesn't matter on the male or the female side. I think you can pick up something from everybody. I think what you said is pretty just interesting. It's a bit of a side note, but basically every person that has hired me or been like the main, you know, the main uh, cog in the in the machine of hiring me has had a mom. Yep. Usually that's been like a very strong presence in their life. Like you go down the line, we look at Dylan Lawson, like his mom was extremely powerful in her career. Who's just the, my current boss with the Yankees. Um, before that, like one of my bosses had a, um, high school principal as a mom, you know, another one was like, okay, uh, my, the first ever person that hired me, Pete Prinzi full time with the Cardinals, he was the major league strength coach and his mom like owned her own business was really high up at general motors growing up. Like, they are raised by strong women. And so that's all they know. So yep. they're not intimidated. They don't think it's weird. They're like, well, I don't know. My mom was doing it in the seventies. That's, that's a, honestly, God's a very common thing. They're like, I don't care. Like, I don't care that you're a girl in a man's world. Like my mom was doing that way before you were born. Yeah, you know? for sure. Big deal. <laughs> so I think every person that's had a part in hiring me either has a mom or a wife or both that are very like strong minded women. Yeah. And my wife is extremely strong as well. Um, you know, my wife's an educator. She's been teaching for a long time and, um, you know, my mom was the same way. My mom was an educator. And so that, that's why the college side was really good for me just cause I grew up around educators and, um, you know, my mom wasn't a stay at home mom. She, she was out working and, um, you know, I think you respect the fact that someone does both, you know, they, they handle the, the family side of things, uh, but then also handle the, you know, the, the work side of things and, and do very well on both side of it. And, um, you know, I, I owe a lot to my mom just because she, she forced me to get into a lot of different things growing up. And so I would not be the person that I am right now if it wasn't because of my mom. Absolutely. So let's get into the, a little bit of the baseball side. And you have a, a great track record. You've done so many great things um, just to, to better yourself. And so my first question on that is, what does the strength and conditioning and human movement background, what, what's that bring to the hitting side of things? Um, I think that, you know, it, it makes it a smoother transition. And I think from the outside looking in, people are like, wow, how did you go from strength and conditioning to hitting? But honestly, it's like I was teaching – the hinge, I was teaching a yep. squat, I was teaching, you know, like I was teaching all these movements that apply to the swing way before I was a hitting coach. And I think the my mindset and my perspective on that has been hugely shaped by my mentors in hitting, which are Jeff Albert, Dylan Lawson, Russ Steinhorn, Troy Snicker, who are all in um, professional baseball, who all have backgrounds in kinesiology as well. Yep. And so they were like, they saw the swing from a strength and conditioning perspective in the first place. So they were constantly with the, this is with the Astros. They were constantly like in the weight room. First of all, by the way, meatheads lifting on their own, you know, they, they, 
in the weight room because they were lifting weights. Yes. But also, they were in the weight room, like, conversing with the strength coaches like I had never seen before. Like, the integration was so high because they're teaching the hinge just like we were teaching the hinge. Yep. So, for yep. example, if a player was having trouble in their counter rotation or having trouble hinging and getting good posture over the plate, they were coming to the strength coaches and going, hey, what do you see in his pattern in the weight room? Also, alongside that, like, for example, I mean, I was teaching Jeff Albert's PVC routine in the weight room with the Latin American players. And so we and and, con, and coaching them. Hey, this is what happens in the swing. We're doing we're doing this in the weight room, and we're teaching these movements that apply to a deadlift or a squat. But also, don't forget, this is also what you do in the swing. So it doesn't matter whether whether you're in the weight room or in the cages. Your body acts the same way. Your body doesn't know whether you're lifting a barbell in a deadlift or whether you're hitting a ball. Your body doesn't know where you are. And so those patterns that you see in the weight room are also going to show up in the swing. So I've always, not always, but I mean, for the past, the recent history in the past four or five years, I've had that perspective that the body is just, you know, it's a product of the environment and the environment in some ways doesn't really matter because it's, it doesn't know the difference between being in the cages or in the weight room. Yep. So all that to say, how does it help me? It helps me tremendously. I mean, I'm really using a lot of the same, even the same language that I've been using for the past 10 years, I'm using in the swing as well. And, and I was lucky. I I didn't have a biomechanics background as an undergrad. I went to Evansville, and um, mine was a psych background and a little bit of biology. But then when I went and got my master's at, at JMU, it was just a byproduct. I was coaching at James Madison, and I was like, hey, if I'm going to be here, their athletic administration program's really good. I might as well go ahead and get it. And I paid for my own master's, but the biomechanics class that we had, you were in there with Kines majors, um, you know, ex-phys majors, guys that were guys and girls that were going to be professors, uh, and and that class helped me a lot from the the teaching side of of the swing and and throwing uh, because those were things I I didn't have as an undergrad because the the education at Evansville is very liberal arts broad based program so it wasn't very specific on that end of it so I was just lucky when I I got to JMU and got my master's that we did do some biomechanics stuff and it it did start to explain the story a little bit better for me um, so I could relate it and break it down a little bit easier for our hitters uh, at JMU from that side of things on, on what we were seeing in the lab as well right I mean I think it's just a vital I think more and more and this is both pitching and hitting that you're gonna see coaches coming up that are just more in tune with the body Yes. And understanding kind of a scientific approach to approach to movement instead of like, well, it feels this way or it it looks this way. It's like, well, this is what is actually happening, happening in the body. And that's just kind of a product of the environment and the society surrounding sports in general of just getting a bit more scientific and numbers and and statistics and and the, the body's no exception. Biomechanics is becoming huge. Obviously, at driveline, it's a huge part of what it's not. It's every, you know, it's everything. Like they don't talk about a pitcher's mechanics unless it's been measured. Yes. So, um, and and that's what's happening across baseball and all sports. You talked about trying to blend that. What what are you seeing? Okay, and and, and I know with the on base U stuff that's out now from a mobility standpoint. Um, and and if you can't get into it, that I understand that part of it. But what are some of the workarounds? So say say a player's not great with the lower half mobility or even shoulder mobility. You know what. What are some of the workarounds that, that you're using to help um, the players that you're working with? Um, I wouldn't. I don't know if workaround is the right term or not, but just I'll just give an example of like, let's say a player has like a really exaggerated anterior tilt, and so that's something that, that um, I believe they talk about in on base U for sure, just with TPI in general. The ability to simply rotate their pelvis anteriorly and posteriorly. So if they can't, if they're already in this like exaggerated anterior tilt and there's really nowhere to go, which means the pelvis is rotated basically further onto the femur. Yep. So it makes it really difficult to then further like get into a hinge and then further internally rotate. So, so for example, like that's in a swing, we can see how that would be a problem. But as a strength and conditioning coach, it's again, I could, I mean, this is, I could talk about just this for 30 minutes, but like a really simple example is just. Okay, how do we get this player to understand? We put him on the ground face face up and just talk about literally how to rotate the pelvis. So creating um, a little bit uh, an exaggerated lordotic curve and then getting out of that and using their abdominals to posteriorly rotate the pelvis. And so just 
teaching the most basic movement of rotating their pelvis and then having them stand up in a swing. And so when the, with their posture over the plate or however you want to think about it within their stance, when they're ready to swing, they're not just dumping their pelvis into anterior rotation. Yep. They're, they're able to keep a neutral pelvis and in a good position so that they, when they want to counter rotate, they can actually internally rotate and they can hinge better. I, I don't know if that made any sense or I, I, this is part of, I wish we had a video of this, but <laughs> so more or less like just being able to take, to look at a player in a swing and see, okay, that guy has really exaggerated anterior tilt and know that probably he has ex- exaggerated anterior tilt when he's walking around, when yep. he's doing a deadlift in the weight room, when he's running, all of those things. Like that's a pattern. It's it does, not like you step into the cages and then, oh, okay, now I have exaggerated anterior tilt. That's a pattern that happens everywhere in his life. Yep. So being able to recognize that in the swing and then kind of rely on my strength and conditioning background to use tactics that I've used in the past to correct that, but also know it, now it has a direct relation to the swing. So did I even answer your question? I'm not really sure. <laughs> I, you know, and, and for me, I think it was hard at times in the cage because you're bringing some of that in and then you want to make sure you're relaying it to the players that you're coaching um, just so they can understand that a, a little bit better. So those were some things that I had to try to make sure that I was, you know, relaying that in a way that they could could absorb it and, and understand it. And with the, the strength and conditioning side, besides, you know, with the deadlift, are, what other exercises are you, you using for them to maybe clean some of that stuff up? up um i would like i'm gonna say one thing here i'm no longer a straight coach so (laughs) i I know but that's your background so i i still think you can i still think you can speak to it yeah well i I mean just to be like respectful of the yankees staff and everything like i really and truly just trust them and let them do their jobs as strength coaches like i do not interfere at all Um, and i've been pretty like careful about that but also i've got plenty to work on the hitting side so it's not like i have a bunch of extra time to go over in the weight room and exactly so um anyway so i mean deadlift is a good one but also just using rotational exercises that are more applicable um directly to the swing so i know like cressy talks a ton about this and cressy's on our team with the yankees at, at the moment yep um using actual rotational exercises because dead, the deadlift is one thing, but that doesn't mean that it's going to apply directly to rotation. Yep. Uh, I would say that if you have a good deadlift or, you know, or RDL or trap bar deadlift, what in, insert any hinging exercise, if you're able to hinge properly and keep your spine in a good position relative to your pelvis, as you're going through that hinge pattern, likely you're going to be able to rotate better than the next person. But it doesn't guarantee that. And so I think that a deadlift is a good place to start because if, if you talk about the swing, the beginning motion is a hinge. The beginning motion of basically any athletic movement, right, is like a hinge pattern. And so being able to do that is pretty foundational. But then once you add rotation onto that, and by the way, dynamic rotation where you have to be explosive, it gets a little bit more complicated from a neurological standpoint. So I would say like rotational exercises, but again, by the way, I'm not a strength coach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a running, running, it's a running joke between Dylan and I. My boss, like, I'm not a strength coach. Don't ask me. <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> you know, and you, you've been with three different organizations with the Cardinals, the Astros, and the Yankees. And and I, I know spring training was was brief for the Yankees. You know, what have been some of the biggest takeaways for you with with the three different organizations? And I know there's certain things that you probably can't talk about, but um. You know, are there, are there different takeaways or is it similar? Um, you know, just, just in your brief time, you know, with, with, with the Yankees, were there any takeaways from, from what you got out of it? Um, I think, okay. So I'll speak, uh, broadly in some ways where I, well, can I, I'm just going to talk about the Astros cause I could talk for a while on that. And just, I think that was probably my biggest, like form like where my mindset was formed about professional baseball yep it started okay let me back up starting with the cardinals one of the biggest things as a young coach um and i was like 24 when i first worked there basically from like 24 to 27 and i was exposed at the at that time to like my my biggest mentors probably in baseball are jeff albert and brent strom and for those of you who don't know like brent strom is he's a legend he's a legend 
He really, he is a unicorn. I, I don't say lucky a lot, but I got lucky crossing paths with him with the Cardinals. Yeah. And also, I didn't get lucky because this is just him now, but I remember being an intern, strength and conditioning coach at the rookie league level for the Cardinals, and Brent Strom was the pitching coordinator, so he would come around to all the affiliates, and I'm just this intern, and a girl, by the way, which was even less common than it is now, 2012, and I would go and just sit in the bullpen and listen to him coach. And when I first started doing it, I kind of like hang back, you know, and be in the shadows. And there's Strami and he'd be like, Rachel, come over here. Uh, you know, look at this guy. Like he's like coaching me on coaching pitchers yep. and like asking me what I see. And I'm just like, why is this guy asking my opinion? Like I don't, you know, and he just didn't care. He didn't care who it was. He's a teacher and a leader by nature. And so he really like, I think set, my perception of what a coach is and especially a coach specifically in professional baseball where he's just this like knowledge seeking person. But even on top of that, he's sharing it. Yes. Like he yes. wants, he really wants to empower people to not only like learn the information that he knows, but he wants you to be a critical thinker and he wants you to be, you know, sharing your knowledge with him and, and he truly wants your opinion. And so he just is phenomenal. He's been coaching for God, I don't know, a hundred years. And like, he still is like sending me articles you know, I'd be like, Hey, have you read this yet? And I'm like, how are you? Like, he's, he's outpacing me and his learning still at the age of, you know, what I think he's 70. I don't know how old he is, but anyway, so Brent Strom and then Jeff Albert, um, who was way ahead of his time. I mean, yes. he was talking about launch angle before, way before anyone, like five years ahead. So he was a, he was a minor league hitting coach with the Cardinals when I was there. And just same thing where he just, would ask me questions and challenge me and challenge even how to learn. Like not just what are you learning, but how are you learning it? Here's a speed reading class from Ryan Holiday. Like, have you looked at this yet? You need to be able to learn faster. And just his his rate of consumption of knowledge and also the way that he teaches it and way the way that he allows you to be a critical thinker is just phenomenal. So both of those guys were with the Cardinals and then they were taken over to the Astros with Jeff Luno. And again, like, again, that's a huge reason why I was over with the Astros after being done with the Cardinals. So like they kind of brought me over and then it was like the floodgates open, right? Like I think with the Cardinals, um, they were a very tradition based organization. And so when I went over to the Astros, it was like, throw everything, you know, out the window, we're starting from scratch. And I just had, I just had this like blank slate. So then Jeff Albert was the coordinator and he was hiring all of the hidden coaches that were just like him. They were reading articles. They were asking the strength coaches what they thought. I met Dylan Lawson my first year with the Astros. He's talking about eye tracking, which I had never heard about in my life. And like, by the way, I was a college softball player and never even thought about like training pitch recognition. Like, yep. you don't. It's like he he opened my eyes to that in the first place. And his just, his talk with Dr. Fatty in, in Orlando at the ABCA convention, I think, was too. Yeah. Um, you know, that was the first time I had seen any of that. And I stole all of those oculation drills, mm -hmm. you know, going forward. Um, and, you know, I know you have to be leery of like trying to implement a lot of new stuff um, after the convention because you've worked all fall. But those were things that I felt like, okay, we can do these immediately and they're going to help, uh, especially being at some, a colder weather school where you're inside. All of those drills worked really well in the cage. And from a timing standpoint, you know, I think you get into the tee and you get off the tee and it, it's hard at times to make the tee game related, but those, those L screen drills where you're going over and under the line, we use those. And I thought they helped with timing off the tee where it did make it much more game related hitting off the tee by using those oculation drills. Yep, absolutely. I mean, they are just obviously, um, Patty and Dylan are probably some of the OGs in that area. Yes. Um, at least in baseball, obviously cricket is a bit more in depth and has been going on a little bit longer, but I mean, yeah, just, just the fact that they were bringing things to the table I'd never heard of. And also I think early adopters of blast motion, I mean, yep. which I don't think is a secret. Um, but yeah, the Astros, when it was horrible, by the way, like the, when the tech was horrible, just the Astros, I think opened my mind to like, you asked me takeaways from the organization. I, I took two really strong mentors from the Cardinals. And then with the Astros, it was like, I mean, no holds bar. Like it was just 
full speed ahead. And what I took from the Astros was like adopt early, fail, understand that new technology sucks and who cares? Because if even if you're willing to adopt some new technology and take your lumps and work with the company, like you can benefit so much from early adoption because then you have this entire data set that, you know, even think about even just two years of data collection that you have on another organization is a massive data set. So if you're willing to take your lumps and work with technology early on over time, I think there's a huge lesson to be learned there. And I think the market's a little more saturated right now, right? Like we have, we have a lot of tools now. When I first started with the Astros, um, in fact, I remember when I was with the Cardinals. So it was like 2014, maybe 15 and Zep was coming around. Yep. Who, and maybe you don't know who Zep is, but it's nah, we I use that. We use Zep early on when I was at Western because um, that was that was the only thing that was available. So we did we did use the Zep sensor early on. Yeah, and like the way that my mind worked, I was a strength and conditioning coordinator, by the way, and I was sitting in the meeting, which, by the way, I wasn't even invited to the meeting. They were kind of like, yeah, yeah who cares? And I was like, <laughs> I'm really curious about this stuff. And I remember them kind of being like, meh, like, eh, it's not, you know, who cares? And then, like, here we are, however many years later, and Blast Motion is just absolutely blown up. So I think, like, I think being willing to take a step forward early on, and that it seems as if the market is saturated and that, oh, well, everyone has all this technology, but there's going to be something else. Like, there's something else out there that's early in development that's the new edge that people are ignoring. And somebody out there is taking the step forward and being the brave person and being the, per- the first person through the door and it sucks and they're working with bad technology for the benefit of everyone else, by the way. But that person is going to be benefiting hugely because they're already collecting data and we're not. So I think with the Astros, it was just like the, I, the mindset of innovation and, and that mindset is try new things and fail and it's fine. And so that was like one of the biggest takeaways with the Astros for sure. And also, again, led by Jeff Albert in the hitting department and Doug White was the pitching coordinator. Same thing. Like those those two coordinators at the helm hiring people that are in tune with the body, are open to technology, view players. This is a huge thing I took away from the Astros, viewing players as capable and intelligent human beings and not keeping data from them. I mean, we were we were teaching them. We were teaching 16 year old Latin players track man reports and they were getting it, you know, yep. whereas I think there's many people out there that say, well, you can't give them too much information and you're going to overload them. And I think there is a time when you say, okay, this player has the yips. We don't need to talk about his spin rate right now, yep. you know, <laughs> but like, but the overwhelming majority, 80% of players are going to take whatever you give them. And, you know, I think there's a way that you can, you can allow them to digest it, and especially if it's going to help them, if it's going to help them improve. That's what I, I've taken away from, from that side of it is that it is allowing players to make adjustments with what they're doing much quicker because of the information that is out there. And yeah, you don't want to overload, but there's a lot of really good information that's going to allow them to be able to make adjustments uh, and, and for anybody looking for new technology, it's probably coming from the golf and the, the track and field side. I mean, that's, that's usually those two sports are usually further ahead from a technology and, and trying to, to get data on the training side of things. So that's probably where it's going to come from. And I think baseball is catching up on that side. But, uh, you know, everything that baseball has gotten has usually come from the track and field and the, the golf side. And they're usually training and making those mistakes earlier. And then that's where baseball's kind of picking up from them. Yeah, I think everyone, I mean, not just baseball or other sports who are probably even further behind, you know, but I think I think it's just like anything else. It's kind of a wave that may have started with golf, I think, and come over to baseball. And it's it's not going back, you know. Like, <laughs> there's no turning back now. It's only going forward. And uh, I think I think the longer we fight it, the worse off will be as coaches, but also for the players. And by the way, the players know. So, I mean, being at driveline was an interesting experience because players are coming in from organizations and they're like, please show me my rap soda report. You know, yep. like they're, they're like, they know that rap soda is out there. They know that they can get more detailed information about their performance and also just their practice habits. 
And if the organization's not giving it to them, they're going to go to places like Driveline that have these things exactly. and get the information. And then they're going to, like some, some of the advancement is truly player driven because they're going, hey, we know that the Astros have this. We talk to other players. We know that they have Edutronics. We know that they have, why don't we have it? You know, some of it really is player driven because these, the players that are coming up now are much more educated, even if they're educated by Twitter coaches, even if they're, you know, the, I, I'll say this, the players coming up now have more information going to them than, than we could ever provide them. So I think it's kind of funny sometimes when we're like, well, we can't give them too much information. Well, if we don't provide the information, they're, they're going to get, get it. Yes. They're going to get it from somewhere. Yes. So if we're not providing them the information, they're going to go to Driveline's blog and read hun- hundreds of blogs, by the way, that were written from like scientific approaches, not just like, well, Driveline thinks this, but like. Yeah, it's not an- anecdotal. There's there's yeah. scientific background to it, which is, for me is the most important. Like there there has to be science to it. It's not just throwing it against the wall. But yeah, you're going to you're going to research it. Um, and then, you know, it does help. It, it helps on a lot of different levels with that part of it. And, you know, what are you recommending um, with your hitters right now? I know this, nobody's had to go through this, but from a, you know, from a protocol standpoint, what are you recommending to your hitters right now that they're doing while they're at home? Yeah. Well, some, I mean, of course, you know, some guys don't have any cage, like they don't even have cages. They don't have any ability to hit right now, but like at the most basic level, I'm literally telling them, this is a strength and conditioning coach talking, um, but I'm just telling them to move their bodies. Like you'd be surprised at how much you can maintain if you just move a little bit yep. and do a little bit of explosive work. You'd be surprised at how much you can maintain them. Also from a mental standpoint, wake up in the morning, exactly. not sleep, like don't sleep till 11 and then watch four hours of Netflix and then think you're going to go work out at 5 p.m. after doing your, your brain is just mush. Well, like, I'm, do I'm, the hard I'm, part you know, first. Yeah, I think that's a great attitude to have. Like the the hardest things that you're gonna do throughout the day, try to to get a lot of those knocked out first, um, and then yeah, you can reward yourself once you get it done. But I think that's reversed for a lot of people as they they take the easy way out first, and then they think they're gonna play catch up at the end, and it it doesn't really work that way. Totally. So I'm just encourage. I'm actually encouraging guys to work out twice a day, and that's not a you know, militaristic, like two a day. No, just like literally move your body, move your blood, you know, get a sweat going twice a day, wake up in the morning and do your conditioning, whatever that looks like. And then in the afternoon, try to get your, you know, air quotes, strength work, which could mean a lot of different things right now, of course. But I'm encouraging them just to like move twice a day. For me, that's not a problem. I, I'll do that. I'm like a very active person. So I do that all the time. But for them, it's like that might, cause they might go work out for 30 minutes or do a run for 30 minutes and then sit in bed the rest of the day. So I'm just like <laughs> encouraging them basically to break up their day twice and just force themselves to get on a routine of moving twice in the day, even if that's for 30 minutes and doing the workouts that the like Yankees have provided that are a lot of body weight workouts. Um, but yeah, and that's, I think people underestimate the mental change that happens. So you wake up and get out of bed and go do a 30 minute workout. Well, then you come home and yeah, you you probably eat breakfast. You probably talk to your family. You probably, you know, you're more likely if you just get up and get out of bed to set your day off in a, a positive way rather than a very lethargic, you know, way that might encourage you to sit and watch Netflix for four hours and then like eat in your bed and like stay in your pajamas. Like that's not a good look for anyone. So, <laughs> and you talked about social media and I think we're seeing it right now. Um, you know, how can we help everyone move forward? You know, it seems like you have these two factions out there. How can we help everyone move forward? Because I think we all have a responsibility to help the game of baseball. And I think what you see right now that's out there is not helping the, the game of baseball and, and not helping development. Um, you know, how can we help with maybe some of the infighting that's out there? Because those are those are some of the things that I wrestle with because I, I do want to try to help because I, I th- see what's out there right now and guys going after each other. It just doesn't doesn't seem like it's helpful to me. And I mean, do you have any tips on that? And because I know you use social media in a really positive way and, and you're affecting positive change through social media. Is there a way that we all can help with that? Um, okay, Ryan, you cut out at the beginning of that question. Okay. You said, okay, but I heard the last part. I think I understand. You basically said, like, how, how can we... How can we help with some of the infighting that's going on on social media right now, especially on the hitting side? Oh, man. Um, 
I don't know. Social media is a really interesting place. I often, I, I read a Twitter th- thread every once in a while and think, would they be having this conversation if it was in person? Yes, there, that's a definite no. There's no way. Like, and, and I've even done that. Um, you know, and I try to, I try to stop myself. Um, I think we all go through that, especially when you initially get into social media. Is you're going to read texts. Uh, it's going to come across really abrasive and hard. And um, so I actually will DM guys and be like, "Hey, call me so we can get on the phone," and yeah. I, that alleviates a lot of issues when you have I mean that happened even yesterday where I was like hey just call me and you know when you when you get somebody on the phone you have that conversation with them it's it's so much different and um but one person's got to reach out on that side too like it's it's a two-way street with that that's a really good idea and I I mean I don't know if I'm the best person to ask because if you look through my Twitter and my Instagram you are not going to find any strength and conditioning advice or hitting advice Yep. And, part, and part of it is because I think I definitely have some viewpoints that are like not popular or just different. And I just don't care to be in a Twitter fight. So, <laughs> but uh, I mean, but that's, a, that's a way as well. Like you, you understand that. So, I mean, that, that in itself is, is a way to help people. Like if, if you don't have to engage, you know, that, yeah. that, that you, there's nothing telling you that you have to engage with someone on there. Um, that's a hard thing. That's easier said than done, but you don't have to engage. Yeah. But I think that, I think your tactic was great. Like first, first and foremost, like you said, you don't have to respond. I mean, in a, in a different sense, there are plenty of, I mean, I don't really look this stuff up, but my sisters tell me if you were to like search the hashtag Balkovec or search, you know, Yankees coach or whatever, you're like, there's all kinds of mean tweets out there about me right now. And I just don't, first of all, I don't even look at them. Well, yeah, because it's un, it's unfair to you and, and it's not true. Like that's someone's opinion. And, and if someone would actually research your background, you des- you're deserving of everything that you get because you've put the work in. And from- there's plenty of mean, like there's just mean stuff about like my gender and stuff, but I, I just... I just don't respond. Like you don't have to respond. However, I will say for those of you out there that have their business tied to, you know, like it's important. Social media is very important for businesses. Yes, it is. I would say like you're, I I love your tactic of like even tweet back and say, Hey, thank you for sharing your opinion. DM me so we can talk more about this on the phone. And guess what? I'm I'm guaranteeing you most people aren't going to DM you, but that tweet alone first of all, probably diffuses the person. And then it shows everybody else in the community like, hey, it's just your opinion too. Like I just tweeted my opinion. Yep. So thank, thanks for sharing that opinion. And I would love to actually discuss, debate this with you or discuss this with you on the phone. And that's why the first thing I said was like, do you think we would actually be having these like horrific conversations in person? No, because you can hide behind the Twitter curtain. Yep. But as, as human beings, when we interact, we have more empathy and we are just like more um, in control. But somehow this this iron Twitter curtain gives us all this courage to put out all this really like, I would just say thoughtless communication. And it's not that, again, if, if somebody wrote a thoughtful opinion and said, mm, I don't really agree with that. Here's why. Uh, what do you think about that? But that's not how it goes. It's usually like, this is ridiculous. This is stupid. They retweet and I can't believe this coach did this or this coach did this. And would you ever, would you ever walk up to someone in a conference and say, wow, I can't believe that video you posted. You're just ridiculous. Ha ha ha. Like, (laughs) and it, you know, this has been going on for a while because before Twitter, they had message boards. So you could get on the hitting and the pitching message boards and it's the same thing. People would go after each other on the message boards, you're just now seeing it out in front of everybody. So it's been going on for a while. It just, hopefully there's a way that, that we can continue to push it forward because it's just not productive with what's going on right now. And you know, that, that's not the culture of, of baseball. You know, you talked about Brent Strom, like that's the culture of baseball. There's a guy that's been around it forever, um, more than willing to give back and, and help someone and help someone that's, that's not as experienced. That's what I grew up around baseball, and that's what I love about baseball is there was older guys that were able to to help bring you along. And 
I think that's where we need to continue. That's the great thing about baseball culture is that part of it. And, you know, what we're seeing right now is some negatives that we, that we don't need because it's not going to help anybody. But I don't, think, I don't think that's just baseball or that's just sports. It's, it's like, so I, I think that like where we left off was just, I mean, that's, that is not a baseball or a sports problem. That's a worldwide problem of how we communicate through social media these days. And I just would encourage people to maybe like, hey, literally like this is a crazy concept i'm gonna throw out there if you see something on twitter and you disagree with it look up the coach find his or her email and write them an email and content related to join those fights and by the way my entire life is not about it's about something different and so it's not that hard because i'm called to put out content that's that's not related to that anyway and I don't think that most people would disagree with the things that I'm putting out because I think most of them it's positive or it's a thought. It's a, a thoughtful thing that I'm putting out, thought-provoking thing that I'm putting out. So, I mean, I just would say let's let's all just raise our level of communication to something that's more authentic. Exactly. Exactly. Great tips. Uh, you know, any recommendations, uh, books, podcasts uh, that, that you're – on that would help somebody, especially somebody that's maybe just getting into everything that, that is trying to help themselves. You're a great example of how to, to break into professional baseball because you are so diverse with your background. Uh, any books or podcast recommendations for anybody listening in? Uh, I'm going to go away from like technical stuff because I could shoot off some articles and stuff, but um, my true passion is organizational culture and just leadership and studying coaches that have been successful over a long period of time. And I think I'm going to rattle off some books that were passed on to me by some of my mentors, but one of them is, uh, the man watching. It's about Anson Dorrance, who's the UNC women's soccer coach. Oh, and, yeah. Um, I mean, whether you, whether we're playing soccer or baseball or whatever, like the man has won, I think 24 national championships and been coaching for four decades. So he's pretty good at coaching. <laughs> I mean, think about like, is there anyone that's won more national championships than him? I don't, I don't really don't know the answer to that question. Um, so there's one, I love the score takes care of itself, um, by Bill Walsh and also his son co-authored that, um, that one was passed to me by, by Dylan Lawson. And what I love about the book, okay, it's a coaching book, but it tells the story of Bill Walsh who turned the 49ers around from the worst team in the NFL. Yes, he did. To winning the Super Bowl in two years, so think like the way that he talks about culture change, I think is unparalleled in that book. So that's definitely one of my one of my go tos. Um, and then just I I mean, there's some general ones I think that are very popular, but I'll go with like the book Mindset by Carol Dweck, and yep. also one that's less popular but still well known is Grit by Angela Duckworth. Yep. Um, Podcast wise, I would just say like. Um, well, the ABCA, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Shameless plug there. Yes, it was. Two podcasts that I listen to that are more on the mental side of things. One I think is phenomenal is, uh, Fighting Mastery by Michael Gervais. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Michael Gervais is the, uh, sports psychologist for the Seattle Seahawks. He works with Carrie Lee Walsh. He works with tons of high level athletes and his podcasts are awesome. I mean, he, it's, it's like you're listening to a, a psychologist interview these really successful people and so his interview style is phenomenal he talks about their background and their upbringing um in fact like i have my own podcast and i like i totally model my own podcast after him and just talk about people's upbringings and understanding really not just their what they did to be what what they're doing but why like what made them who they are so i love that podcast and then also the mindstrong podcast um so MindStrong is a company out of Minneapolis started by three current and former professional athletes who kind of were like feeling disappointed by the mental skills that they were provided in their careers um, over the past 10 years. So they, I mean, their podcast is chock full of information on uh, breathing tactics, contrast with, with heat and sauna, um, different like grounding. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then maybe you should start with that one. Yeah. <laughs> If what I just said is unfamiliar to you, then I would, the MindStrong project to me is, is they're definitely leaders in the space of mental skills and 
sports psychology and they're doing some really awesome things up there in Minneapolis. So um, I really like those two podcasts. Where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? Uh, well, if you can spell Balkovac, you can find me basically anywhere. <laughs> I'm glad I pronounced it right. Yeah. Um, it's You can just, I think it's rachel.balkovac on Instagram and uh, I think at Rachel underscore Rachel Balkovec on Twitter. And I have a website, rachelbalkovec.com. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty, pretty accessible out there. And I do want to give Tyson Blazer a shout out for, for making the connection. And then also John Kramer and I actually played college baseball together at Evansville. So there's another Yankee connection there. Um, John and I go way back with each other. He's a great human being and uh, another uh, great baseball person. Well, it tells me a lot about you as a person, knowing that you're friends with those two guys. <laughs> I appreciate it. They're in great people. Way. In a good way. I love Tyson. Tyson's a, a great example. I'm going to have him on here uh, in the next couple of weeks, but he's a really good example of perseverance because his college career, um, it just battled a lot of injuries in his college career and um, found a way to make it work and then got his opportunity. And, um, you know, him and Justin Toole, who's with the Indians, those are two of my guys that played just as long or longer than anybody that I coached. And you wouldn't have thought that in college. So really good examples of perseverance and staying with it. Also, Tyson is a good example of how to um, keep things light around the ballpark. He's a definitely yes. and makes everyone laugh. So yeah. Yeah. All right, Rachel, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. This is great. Yep. Good luck with everything. Thank you. I was really excited that Rachel and I could get connected uh, for the podcast. Uh, just everything that I had read about her and the people that I had talked to about her, uh, you know, had nothing but great things to say about her and how intelligent she was, smart, um, how forward-thinking she is, and uh, all of that came out in the podcast and uh, just was a great conversation and uh, somebody that hopefully I can stay connected with here going forward. Uh, she's a driving force and doing great things, uh, not just in baseball, but outside of baseball. And I think we need more of that now uh, more than ever uh, with what's going on around us. Uh, we need driving positive forces out there. And so I'm really thankful to Rachel that she could come on and uh, it was a great conversation for me. And I picked up a lot. Um, she's, uh, she's forward thinking. And, um, you know, again, we need more of that in this world. So, again, this is Ryan Brownlee signing off uh, from my basement in Macomb, Illinois. Uh, thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. <laughs>